the last day of this man, and it's wonderful to be in Beis Medrash that Baruch Hashem has a beautiful Eilam, and you are the, you are our pair. If you're here on the last day of the Zman, then that means that you care about yeshiva, it means that you, you love learning, and it means that you have a, a tremendous chilek of this base Medrash. So I try to give a uh, closer schmooze right before the end of the Zman, and it's supposed to be a message that carries us into the summer. Some of us are not coming back after the summer, so hopefully it'll last you beyond the summer. But it's primarily addressing uh, issues that we have to focus on, Mirz Hashem, in this very long summer ahead. And I'm not just talking to you, I'm talking to myself as well. It's a difficult uh, period of time when you don't have a miscarriage of yeshiva and you're basically lacking that scaffolding, that... uh, that rubric that keeps you in check and that keeps everything nice and neat. And even then, even during the year, it's challenging. But especially in the summer, uh, it's a very big Nisayan, as we know, and this is hopefully going to address some of that uh, for us. Parsha's Nasai. I didn't give a shmuz that Parsha. I prepared a shmuz, and uh, unfortunately, somebody in my family was... Uh, had to be taken to the hospital, so I wasn't able to be here. Um, but I still have the schmooze. And it's a schmooze that is very befitting, I think, for this time of year, so I'm going to give it. I always, it's hard for me to keep a schmooze. You know, there's a, there, there's a, a lava of nicer. You can't, like, keep things over. You have to, sometimes you have to say things. When I think I had a daughter that was born on a Thursday evening, late at night, and I came and I gave a shmooz that Friday morning in yeshiva, and I remember starting the shmooz and I said that a, a shmooz like a baby must be delivered. You have, once you have it, you have to deliver it. So I didn't get it, I have it in, pocket, in my pocket, this shmooz in Parshas Nasai since Nasai a couple of weeks ago, and I, I want to share it with you uh, today. So at the end of Parshas Nasai, there is a repetitive parsha. I once recently bumped into a boy who was bar mitzvah. I asked him, what's your parsha? I have the longest parsha, but it's the easiest parsha. I said, what parsha? He says, nasai. Half of it is just repeating the same paragraph over and over. It sounds like, oh, wow, you have the longest parsha. But really, it's quite easy to lane. Once you get through the first half, you're good. Because it's just sort of, you just change the name of the, of the nasi. And it's the exact same formula. Every single day, the nasi shall be Israel. These great men, these great leaders contributed the same exact thing to the Chanukah HaMizbeach, to inaugurate the brand new Mizbeach in the Mishkan. This is what they brought. And this is the same thing every single day. So we have Karbonai Karas Kesef Achas, one silver bowl, Shleishu Mishkala. It weighed 130 shekels. And then we had, and then he also brought Mizrak Echad Kesef, Shivim Shekel B'Shekel HaKadosh. One basin of silver, 70 shekels in the sacred shekel. And then there was fine flour that was brought with incense, incense and a young bull and a ram and a sheep. 
And that was basically the, uh, the carbon that every Nasi brought every single day of the Chanukah's Hamizbeach. And of course, this is a parasha that we lay in on Chanukah, and uh, so we're familiar with the parasha very, very well. If you look in Rashi, Rashi gives, I think he goes a little bit out of the way he normally does things. And he starts giving us a lot of gematrius. He starts giving us a lot of minion ICA. So he says, for example, Karis Kesef, when it says that there's one silver bowl, minion ICAs be gematria, tough, tough, kuf lamid, the gematria of Karas Kesef is 930. Kineget Shneisav shall Adam this is how many years Adam Rishon lived. He lived 930 years. And so we bring Kares Kasef. Some reason there is an allusion to the years of Adam. Adam really, of course, was supposed to live a thousand years. But he dedicated 70 of those thousand years to David HaMelech. So he only had 930 years to live. And that is symbolized by Kares Kasef. How much did they weigh, these Kairos Kasef? Shleshim Umeya Mishkala, 130 was its weight. And Rashi says, Al Shem Shekeshehemit Toldais, Lakiyama Ailam, Ben Meya Balamit Shanahaya, Shenemar Vechi Adam, Shleshim Umashana Vayelbid Musaikitzalmai. That when Adam Arishain gave birth, he was 130 years old. Was he lived 130 years, and then he had, he had a child. This was obviously besides for Cain and Hevel that were born on the same day that he was born, but after that happened, there was 130 years that passed until he had uh, the next uh, child. And so that's 130. Mizrak Echad Kesef, a sprinkling basin. Bigamatria Tuf Kuf Chaf. That's 520 Bigamatria. Mizrak Echad Kesef. Al Shem Nayach, Shehemid Taldais, Ben Tuf Kuf Shana. He had children when he was 500 years old. The Al Shem Esrim Shanish Nigzer Gezeris Mabal. And where's the 20? There was 20 years when the Gezeris Hamabal was enacted, was commanded, was told, Kaidim Taldaisav. And that was before, he, it was 20 years before he had children, Kameshik Rashti. Fine. So we see that for some reason, Rashi is telling us that this, these psukim, these important psukim that need to be repeated over and over again, speaking about the Chanukah HaMizbeach, the inauguration of the Mizbeach, involves gematrius of minyanim of the years and the lives of Adam and Nayach. Which is very strange. Why in the world are we going back that far? Adam and Nayach. Why is the Torah embedding this mysterious number representing their lives when they gave birth and everything about them in the Chanukah's Hamizbeach? Why is that important? When you, whenever you see a Rashi like this and you see like they're making a minion of a gematria, at some, by somebody's name, obviously there's a message here. It's not just random, okay, so... Adam lived this many years, and therefore this, the, the basin is that, and, and, and Nayach. What's the significance? What's the significance of Adam and Nayach to the Mizbeach? And I think that the answer to this question is that Adam and Nayach were very, very significant players in the context of a Mizbeach. 
if you look in the Rambam, in Hilchas Beis HaBechira, Perak Beis Halacha Beis, the Rambam has the Halachas of the Beis HaMikdash, which he terms Hilchas Beis HaBechira. Beis HaBechira means the house of, that was chosen. The house that was chosen is the Makam HaMikdash, where HaKadosh Baruch Hu chose to be Mashra Shechina, it's called the Beis HaBechira, and in that set of halachas, this is what he writes in Perak Beis, Halacha Beis. He's speaking about the Mizbeach. Um Mesairas Biyad HaKal. And we have a Mesaira. Biyad HaKal. Everybody knows this Mesaira, says the Rambam. Shehamakim Shebana Bay David Ushleim HaMizbeach Begayrin Arvana. The place that David planned, he was the architect of the Beis HaMikdash. He didn't get to see the actual Beis HaMikdash built. But he planned it out. He bought it from Arvana. And then he gave it over to Shlema. Shlema actually built the Beis HaMikdash. That place of the Makla HaMikdash, and specifically the place that the Mizbeach was established in the, in the center of the, of the Makam HaMishkan, the Makam HaMikdash. Hu HaMakam, this is a very great historical location. This isn't a random location. This place, this spot on which the Mizbeach was built, you want to know where Akedas Yitzchak took place? Akedas Yitzchak, where Avram Avinu built him his Beach and was willingly, was willing to sacrifice his son, his beloved son, his only son, Yitzchak, on the Akedah. It was on that very Makim, on that spot. That's where David HaMelech put the Mizbeach. But we could go back further in history than Akedas Yitzchak, says the Rambam. The Torah tells us that after Nayach left the Teva, he built a Mizbeach. It's interesting. He didn't land in Yerushalayim. He landed in Turkey, in Ararat. But he walked, he, somehow he got from Turkey all the way to Yerushalayim. And that's the place that he built the Mizbeach to be makar of a carbon, in gratitude for being saved from the Mabel. But it goes back even more. This was the place that Cain and Hevel were makriv a carbon. And Adam Rishon also was makriv a carbon. Kishen Nivra. When was Adam Rishon makriv a carbon? As soon as he was born. He wasn't born a little baby. He was born uh, fully created, fully mature. He had full das. And as soon as he was born, as soon as he was created, he built a Mizbeach Takarish Parchu. Umisham Nivra, not only did he build it on that spot, but he was created from that spot. The dirt of the Makim HaMizbeach was actually the dirt that Adam Arishan was created from. Adam Arishan was Nivra Min Afar. Where did that offer come from? That offer says the Ram Rashi brings a different Medrash that says that he was Tzavar, he took offer from all the places in the world, every single continent on the world had a little bit of Adam Arishan uh, composition in it because that way he'd be able to be buried. Adam, man could be buried anywhere in the world because part of his uh, decomposition includes having some of the local dirt in you. And so you have that, but there was also the Rambam, and Rashi also brings that as the Makam Amizbeach, 
the Makim Bayach, and maybe I think some of the Mepharshim try to put these two together, and they say that the body was created from all over the world, but the Reish really came from the Makim Mizbeach. So he was Nivra, he was Nivra from that offer of the Mizbeach. From the place of his atonement, that's where Adam was created. So I believe that when we're talking about the first Mizbeach that we're building, this is predating David and Shlomo's Mizbeach. This is the first Mizbeach that was being built by Klal Yisrael in the Mishkan, albeit it's not in the Beis HaBechira, but we have to allude, it would be not right to not allude at this moment in time when you're being mechanech the Mizbeach, you're inaugurating the Mizbeach, you have to make mention to all of the, the predecessors of who inaugurated the Mizbeach in world history. The Mizbeach on the Makam HaMikdash, Adam Arishan, as soon as he was born, started this concept of offering a, a carbon to the Rabbi Shalom. And then his sons, and that's why his, the, the ability that he had to procreate was also alluded here. And then Nayach and, and his family, all of that, that we are also being Meramis. Adam and Nayach, the Gematrias, are spelled out, are enumerated in this parsha because the parsha of the Mizbeach is Adam and Nayach and beyond. And from Nayach it went to Avram and Yitzchak. And then it went to uh, David and Shlema, and beyond and beyond. But it starts with Adam. It starts with Nayach. And therefore we allude in the Karis Kasef and the Mizrake Kasef, all of this has to have the illusions of Adam and Nayach. It's not random. These are the people in history that showed how a person must approach the Rabbi Nishlam. What is that approach? That approach is an approach of sacrificing oneself to the Rabbi Nishayim. Now, Baruch Hashem, we don't believe in human sacrifice. That's a very paganistic ritual that obviously the Torah says that's totally awesome. But in a sense, we do. Because the Ramban says that the kavonis that a person has to have when he's being mocker of that carbon on the Mizbeach is that really I should be offered as a, as a sacrifice on the altar. I did Averis, I deserve to die, I deserve to give myself over to the Rabbi Nishlam. But, lucky for me, here's the animal, the head of the animal is instead of my head, the heart of the animal is instead of my heart, the feet of the animal, the arms, the, everything is for me, but I'm being mocker of myself on the Mizbeach through the animal. I saw one from the Granat, Rabbi Naftali Trapp, who was the Rashiva and the Chavitz Chaim's Yeshiva in Radin. He once said that when Yitzchak Avinu was going to the Akedah, so it says that he was very happy. And then after Avram Avinu told him that he was the Seh, he was still happy. Nothing changed. Before, when, he, before, when he thought it was the carbon, he was happy. And after he was told that he was the carbon, or he understood that, he was still happy. They were still going happily together to the Mizbeach. So the Granat says, you know what's the Pshat? Because Yitzchak was having the Kavana of the Ramban originally. It's not that I'm bringing a carbon, I'm bringing myself. A carbon really is bringing yourself on the Mizbeach. You're doing it, you have, you know, you lucked out because you could do it vicariously for bringing a carbon. But in your brain, you have to imagine that you yourself are going on the Mizbeach. 
So when Yitzchak Avinu actually was told that, no, no, you're the carbon, you don't have the, you don't have an animal, you're the carbon, it made really no difference then because he had that kavana the whole time. And this is the aside that we learn from Adam and we learn from Nayach that we have to be able to give up our lives to the Rabbi Nishayim. We have to sacrifice a lot to the Rabbi Nishayim. Adam knew that from day one that I'm not here for myself, but I'm here to give up everything to the Rabbi Nishalom. Every day I have to sacrifice myself to the Rabbi Nishalom. That's the site of the Mizbeach. And this is something that happened from the beginning of time and throughout. There was an unbroken chain of sacrifice, of self-sacrifice for the Rabbi Nishalom. It's not about me. I'm willing to give everything up to be meiser nefesh, in order to serve the Rabbi Nisham. That is our kavana in life. That's who, that's who we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be Jews that give up our lives. We're willing to do anything and everything, everything for the Rabbi Nisham. And this is the Messiah of our, our, of our Abbas. And this is what has happened from time immemorial to Klal Yisrael. Klal Yisrael has had wonderful periods of history, and there have been terrible periods of history. But throughout it all, Klal Yisrael were literally able and willing, by and large, to give up everything on the Mizbeach of HaKadosh Baruch Because this is our Messiah. Whether it was in the Churban Bayes Rishain, or it was the Churban Bayes Shani, the millions of Yidin that died during that period, and with terrible deaths, with terrible tragedy, with terrible famine, being ravaged, that they did it al-Kiddush Hashem, they died al-Kiddush Hashem, they self-sacrificed for the Rabbi Nishalom. During the Spanish Inquisition, we were just talking about the golden, the golden age of, of Spain. You know, Spain had a wonderful period. They had, it was ups and downs, it wasn't perfection. Obviously, there were always persecutions and always problems, but it was a wonderful period of time, and this was the time of the Rishonim, the great Rishonim that lived in Spain, and that accomplished so much for Klal Yisrael, but of course it came to a crashing end uh, during the period of the Inquisition, during the period of the expulsion in 1492, and those Yidin at the end of that Kufa that they were so, uh, they were doing so well, and they were so affluent, and they were so productive, and they were great for society, and they, they were living like golden era, like we're living here in, in America, but when the time came, they were willing to be meiser nefesh, and the people, that many people gave up their lives at the stake because they did not want to convert to Catholicism. And there were many people that did not, and they went into hiding, or they did other, other etzes, but it's very interesting. The Chassid Yavitz writes, he was there at the time, and he writes uh, a testimony about what was going on he said the people, we know that they were very into philosophy in Spain in that, that period of time. A lot of the great philosophers uh, were really um, advancing during that period. And philosophy is something that, you know, you can't say it's bad because many of the Rishonim were great philosophers, but philosophy, if it's used in the wrong way, it's a very dangerous tool. Because what it does is it, it makes you think too much and you become such a, a deep thinker and, and you think about all of the mysteries of the world that you begin to think that or you begin to see certain discrepancies and you, you read enough things and you get confused. 
he says the people that were dabbling in philosophy or that were immersed in philosophy during the Spanish Inquisition, generally speaking, he said, they took a, they, they punted. They did not give up their lives like Kiddush Hashem. They were not willing to put themselves on the Mizbeach. It was the simple Jews, it was the people with the Muna Pshuta. We don't know from any Chachmas, we don't know from any this and that and maybes. We just know there's a Rebbein Hashem in the world and we're supposed to now give up our lives like Kiddush Hashem. That's what we know and that's what we're going to do. Those are the people that were Meisunefesh. It wasn't the deep thinkers. The philosophers uh, very often are able to philosophize themselves out of these, uh, out of these, these very difficult times. But it's the people that have a munapshut to the simple faith in the Rabbanisham without knowing anything extra. And this is the way our Messiah is that, you know, just believe in the Rabbanisham. Keep it simple. Keep the faith as simple as possible. Don't try to outsmart anybody. Because when you start outsmarting other people, you start outsmarting yourself and you end up in a big mess. The less that you can expose yourself to in terms of other ideologies and other ways of looking at things and this way and that way and the internet is full of these things but Rabim I'm telling you this from many experiences with Talmidim Talmidim that dabble on the internet or beyond with, other, with these types of websites and these types of blogs and this and that, it's, it's the beginning of the end because they can never open up a Chumash normally, they can never look at a Ramban normally, they can never look at a, at a Muslim, so everything is they, they became so smart that they outsmarted themselves. And we go through the rest of history. And of course, the Holocaust that was, you know, ravaged Klai Yisrael, six million Kedashim. It's a number that's impossible to wrap our brain around. I don't know if you ever saw, I was in the old city a couple of years ago, and I saw uh, in the Sarm store there, there was a, a book, and it was, I forgot what it was called, but it was basically, the whole book was a very, very small font, a very thick book, small font, and it just said the word Jew six million times. It said the word Jew. It was a thick book, just to give you some understanding of how many Jews it was that were killed. Six million just became like a number, but it's six million people that put on tefillin, that daven, that was that that were shemitara mitzvahs, that that had mishpachas, or that was a child that was in chadarim, that was in beis yaakov's, six million people. If you had six million dollars, you'd be a pretty wealthy man. Six million people, human beings, achenu bnei yisrael. It's an amazing number. They died al kiddush Hashem. We call them the six million kedushim because they understood this concept that there's a Messiah, that there's a Mizbeach, and there's a Mizbeach for HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and sometimes we're expected to put ourselves on that Mizbeach for the Rabbi Nisham. This is sometimes what the Rabbi Nisham expects for us to do. Rav Shach once said that he would have given all of his life's achievements. And he had a lot of achievements in life. Rav Shach was the Gadladar, Rav Shach wrote the Aviezer, Rav Shach was Rosh Shiva Panovich, Rav Shach, there is Svarim, big fat Svarim, just full of stories about him. And the Chesed and the Tzitkos that he had. And the brilliance, the Pikchus, and, and what, what he did for Kal Yisrael. He said, I would give it all up in exchange for having the precious moments of richness and pleasure of those who stood outside a gas chamber 
waiting to be killed, when they suddenly remembered that the day was Simchas Torah, and they said one to another, we might not have a safer Torah to dance with, but we do have the Bayre Eilamim, the Rabbi Nishlam is with us now. And let's make a Rakida with the Rabbi Nishlam. And that's what they did. Moments before they were killed, they danced with joy at the precious gift of Torah that Hashem had given them. And Rav Shach says that those moments, he wasn't there, but he heard about this. And he says, if I could only have been Zeicha to be there at that time when they were giving up their lives with happiness, with Simcha, with Ashrenu Matayv Chalkeinu, he says, all of my life's achievements I would have given up just for that moment of richness, that pleasure of being able. It's a schus to be mad. When we think about being makar of ourselves on the Mizdeh, we think that's a horrible thing. I don't want to do that. I want to live. And of course, we all want to live. But there's a richness to it. There's an ability to say, this is really what I want to do. I want to give everything to the Rabbi Nishon. And when the t- we don't daven for that, but if the time calls for it, Jews have always been able to do it. It's a very hard thing for us to understand, and it's, it's, it's frightening maybe, but if you're in that moment and that ability to, to live through it, this is what Rav Shach says, it would be an amazing, amazing uh, moment to savor and to appreciate and to enjoy. Imam Ruttenberg, by the way, has a famous tshuva, and he says that people that die, al-Kiddush Hashem, they don't feel the torture that they're being put through. Sometimes they, you know, there were terrible tortures that were, that were involved, being burned at the stake. You can imagine that wasn't, uh, you know, but he says if you're dying, al-Kiddush Hashem, he says you don't feel, you don't feel anything. This is, uh, it's a, it's, it's, this is a moment that, that Kla Yisrael doesn't necessarily yearn for, but when it happens, it's exactly what is expected of them at that time. We come to America, and this is the last Gaulus. We have a Messiah from the Vilna Gain through Chaim Balazhner, that there's ten stancias, he said. This Gaulus of Gaulus Adam that we're in right now has ten stations. And the last Station, the Letzte Stancia, is the station of America. America, we have a Kabbalah that this is the last stop of Mashiach. Before Mashiach comes, this is the last stop. We had all the other stops on the train, and this is the last stop. And this is, that Kabbalah, by the way, was what motivated Aaron Cutler to make the decision to come to America over to Israel. He had it, when he was leaving war-torn Europe, he had a choice to make. Should I move to Israel? And, or should I move to America? Eretz Yisrael, he had more reason to go to Eretz Yisrael because Eretz Yisrael is where his, his wife's uh, parents lived. This is Amon Meltzer. He had a yeshiva. He was going to give the whole yeshiva to Aaron Gottler. He had many reasons to go to Eretz Yisrael or he could go to America. America at the time was a complete midbar. But knowing this Messiah from Aaron Cutler, that this is where Tyre is moving to, so he sort of saw the trend. He saw that this is the direction, this is where he needs to be. And look what he did here. Look at what the mapecha that Aaron Cutler made. One man. You wonder, like, what, what could I do? I'm just one guy. You see that Aaron Cutler, what one man, obviously, you know, very few people ever were Aaron Cutler, not comparing us to him. But what one man did, you see, like, you know, he started a yeshiva in Lakewood, and it grew. It started with a handful of Talmud, and then it grew to, uh, you know, a couple of hundred. By the time he was nifted, I don't know how many there were. I don't think there were 
I don't think there are more than a few hundred. Rip Schneer took over and he, he created it, you know, to the, into the thousands. And now, you know, you have an Asifa, you have an Adiria Taira convention in, in, a, in a Philadelphia uh, sports arena that houses 25,000 people, most of them from Lakewood. Amazing. Amazing what one man has done. And besides for all the Kaolim all over the world that Lakewood uh, sends to and, 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 and founds, Dashbab, one man, but Rav Aaron Cutler came to America because he understood that this is where he has to be and this is where the next and the last, found, the last stop of Tyra is. And in America we find that there was a new type of Messiris Nefesh that suddenly was being formed. It wasn't a Messiris Nefesh, Baruch Hashem, of being burnt on any stakes. There was never... Uh, major, you know, sometimes there have been Jews killed and, and, and minor pogroms in America, but, and, and people have been, been definitely killed, al Kiddush Hashem, individuals. But the Rabbim, Baruch Hashem, we've had it very good here, B'liayinara. But there's always been tremendous Messiris Nefesh in America, but in a different way. It wasn't a Messiris Nefesh of, can I live? But how will I live? Will I be able to live my life as a Jew, as a Shemitah Mitzvah, in spite of all of the challenges? And today, we're basically not challenged like we used to be. Today, you have all types of laws on the books protect, protecting your religious liberties. And if somebody you know, wants, to work, wants to leave work early because he's Sabbath observant, and you fire him because of that, you're in big legal, legal trouble. But in the early part of the 19th century, that wasn't the case. And Jews came here as immigrants, and they needed parnasa. Put yourself in their shoes for a second. Imagine what it was like to be coming to America. You have a family, you have a wife, you have a family, you have to support them. There wasn't welfare. People weren't giving out you know, social security checks or welfare checks, or uh, you know, there wasn't gemachs that you could go to. You basically ate whatever you, whatever you were able to earn. And if you earned money, then you ate. If you didn't earn money, then you didn't eat. And you didn't have an apartment over your head because you were evicted. It was very simple. And, and here you were challenged. Imagine, put yourself in the... It's, you know, sometimes we look at it like, okay, you know... But imagine if you were that person for a second. You have a wife and you have, let's say, five, six, seven kids. And you go to work on, on Monday morning. You got a new job. Come Friday afternoon and you say to your boss, you want to go home for Shabbos? Your Shabbos? Oh, you're one of those guys? Okay. Very nice knowing you. Thanks for the four days of work. Here's your check. And here's a pink slip also, which means that you're fired. And Monday morning you'll go back. Uh, you'll, you'll look for another job because don't got, we, don't, we don't hire Sabbath observers here. Now, you know, we look at, of course, I would be my is, is it so pusher that that, that that would be the decision that you would make? You come home Friday afternoon and you have no job Monday morning and you don't know what you're going to be able to do to shop, to cook, to, to, to your kids need shoes, they need clothing. It's not a pressure thing. But people by the thousands were willing and able to be meiser nefesh to keep Shabbos and to keep Yantif and to keep Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur and to do all of these things just in order to stay 
to stay religious. This was a tremendous mysterious nefesh to the Rabbi Nishayim. This is also lying down in the Zbeach for Hashem. It wasn't a death type of mysterious nefesh. It was a life mysterious nefesh. It was giving up things that we naturally need. These, are, these aren't luxuries. These are necessities. But I'm willing to somehow be able to give it up for the Rabbi Nishayim. This is a, a, a madrega that is beyond our comprehension. The schar that those people got for keeping Shabbos in spite of all of those challenges, impassable challenges, but they did it, that's the legacy of America. That's what American jury brought to the table of the Mizbeach. There's a beautiful story. I think it's my favorite story of all the stories, and maybe you've heard me say it, but every opportunity that I could say it, I say it because I think it's, it's a mitzvah of Farsim. In the early years in America, in the year 1912, so there were immigrants from, from Eastern Europe. They came and they lived in, in the Lower East Side. And it was a family by the name of the Parnasses, not related to Rabbi Parnas, who, uh, who was a Rashiva here, but a very Chashiva family. He was a Hasidic Shayid, and he and his wife, and I believe they had eight children, they lived in one of these tenement buildings in the Lower East Side, an apartment. And he was one of these people that I'm talking about. He got a job on Monday morning, he got fired on Friday. He got a job Monday morning, got fired on Friday. But eventually, like, you get blacklisted. Like, people know, oh, you're a Sabbath. It's clear that you're going to be Shabbos. You know, they know. All the employers started, I guess, talking to each other, and they knew exactly who to hire, who not to hire. I'm not going to train you another week and then only have you leave. So he basically ran out of out of options for Parnassa. It's an amazing thing. You know, it's, it's a, it's, it's a real-life crisis. And what happened was that, like I said, it was in the middle of the winter. He wasn't paying his rent. Rent at those, in those days was $5 a month in an apartment in the Lower East Side. And he couldn't even come up with that. He tried to do odd jobs and this and that. He wasn't able to feed his family and keep a roof over his head all because of Shabbos. So he went, um, the landlord rather, sent the superintendent to a victim. Like, you don't pay your rent, you haven't paid for a couple of months, you're out. There's no, today you could sue and go to court and landlords and tenants and this, you don't have, that, that didn't exist. You literally, you didn't pay the rent, goodbye, you're out. So imagine for a second, Rabbi Parnas with his wife and eight children and they're standing on a cold snowy street in the Lower East Side of Manhattan without anywhere to go. They didn't have an in-law to go to, a parent to go to, a relative. They didn't know. They, they were immigrants. They just came. And they literally were freezing. And the, the landlord, the, the superintendent of the building, a non-Jew, and to his great credit, he said, listen, Rabbi, I'm not the owner of the building. I would let you stay. I'm under strict orders to evict you, but I can't stand to see you out in the street you and your family, you're good people. He says, if you want, you could sleep down in the basement of the building where I sleep. It's not fancy. It's very, the, the boiler room is down there, and the boiler was heating coal. And so the whole apartment, the whole downstairs was all like basically one big fog of, of black coal smoke and, and dust in the, in the air. But you'll be warm and you'll have a roof over your head. That, that much I could give you. I can't give you food. I, that you have to, but 
I could I could provide you shelter at least until you find another another way of uh, of supporting yourself. Which was an amazing chesed. Anyway, so that's what they did. They took all their pekaloch and they went down to the basement of the building, and that's where they lived. Now, a couple of days later, these Hasidisha kids they came up to play ball out in the street, but they didn't look like white children, they looked like black children because they were all covered in black. They were fully black. And they were speaking Yiddish to each other. That was their language. So they were playing ball. They looked like black children playing ball, speaking Yiddish. And there was like a very aristocratic uh, Jewish man, not religious. But you can see he wore like the American attire, very, you know, spitz. And he passed by and he notices a strange sight. And he says like just to nobody in particular, just to himself, he says, only in New York can you have black kids that speak Yiddish. I don't know. So one of the kids opened his mouth and says, uh, Mister, says, we're not black. We're regular Jewish kids. That's why we're speaking Yiddish. He says, but you're black. He says, no, no, no. We're not. So why are you black? So he explains, I filed the Shabbos, and they, didn't, they evicted us. They put us down in the basement. Five dollars we couldn't come up with. And, and this... This Yid had a good heart, and he says, do me a favor, ask your father to come up. I want to talk to him. It's an amazing story. This is like the most amazing story of all time. Never forget this story, and repeat it to anyone that you see. So he says, so Rabbi Parnas comes up, and I guess he also looked black, and he says, Shalom Aleichem. He says, "Uh, what's your name? He says, Mr. Biston. Biston, what can I do for you? He says, well, I spoke to your children. They told me this terrible story, how, you know, you're a Meister Nefesh for Shabbos, you gave up for Shabbos, and you don't have, you know, a normal house to stay in. He says, I want you to, I want to pay for your, for, to buy you an apartment. I'm going to give you $500. Now, $500, then you could buy an apartment building with. $500 was like, a few million dollars today. It's a, it was an astronomical amount of money. I told you, five dollars, you were able to live in a, an apartment for a month. So you can imagine what five hundred dollars did. And, and he said, I want to give this to you and I don't want you to suffer anymore. I want you and your family to live decently and get yourself a job and now at least you'll have a roof over your head. So he says, I appreciate the offer, says Rabbi Parnas to Mr. Biston. He says, but tell me something. This five hundred dollars that you so generously are giving, are, are offering to give me, and I appreciate it. Was it earned with Chil Shabbos? Were you Michal Shabbos to earn this money, yes or no? He says, yes, I was. So he says, let me speak to my wife first. He had the kids call up their mother, and they huddle. So listen, he offers $500, you know, but you know, the reason why we're in this situation in the first place is because we want to keep Shabbos properly. We don't want to get any Anah on Shabbos. And by taking this money, we're, we're undoing everything that we're, that we're, we're, you know, what are we doing? How can we do this? She said, 100%, to her great credit. Imagine the Messiah Savage that she had to have. And so they look at Mr. Bisson, thank you very, very much. We're going to decline your offer because, you know, we can't take money that was produced on Shabbos. So he gets furious, and he's like, there's smoke coming out of his ears, and he, he, in a huff and a puff, he leaves them, crazy greenhorns, they came to this country, and they don't give, they don't, and he goes storming into his apartment, he sees, and his wife sees that he's all upset, and she says, uh, what's wrong? 
So he says, these, these, these immigrants, a rabbi and a family, I so generously gave them, offered them $500. They were living in a basement, in a suit-filled basement of a, a tenement building, and I offered, he could, they could buy their own building if they want, and they turned me down. Well, why'd they turn you down? Listen to this one. Because I got the money with Chil Shabbos. She said they're 100% right. She said, remember a couple of years ago, we came over to these shores, and we were Shemr Shabbos, and then we decided that it was impossible. We couldn't go on the Mizbeach of, of, of Shemir Shabbos. We weren't able to be Meisir Nefesh. And we said that someday we're going to come back, but right now we have to temporarily do what we need to do. And therefore we started, you know, being Michal Shabbos. You opened up your business. It was successful. And they're sticking to their guns, and we never did. So shame on you. They're a thousand percent right. She said, so what should I do? She said, go back to him and tell him that you're going to be Shemr Shabbos from now on and beg him to take the $500. <laughs> so Mr. Biston makes a U-turn and he goes back to the, to the Parnasses and he says, Rabbi Parnas, my wife and I understand what you're saying and we accept and we want to, from now on, we're going to be Shemr Shabbos and please take the money. Please take the money. He says, no, the money was still earned on Shabbos. He says, you go back, you work now with Shmir Shabbos, you earn another $500, then I'll take it back, then I'll take it. But this old $500, I'm not touching that money. That money, you know, give it to somewhere else, I'm not taking that money. Because you go earn another $500, and that's what he did. He went back, he earned another $500, he gave it to Rabbi Parnas. Rabbi Parnas bought a building in Borough Park, he opened up the first Hasidish Shtibol in Borough Park, and the first Chassid in the Shtibol, Mr. Biston. And the families, both of them, grew together, and there's you know, many, many Enoch that are all Shemir Terah Mitzvahs, and Meiser Nefesh, and, and building beautiful Terah homes, but with tremendous mysterious Nefesh. That was American Mizbeach. That's an American Mizbeach. That's a Mizbeach that we have to give up ourselves on. Alive. You know, there's a, a sefer called Magid Mesharim that's put out by um, Rabbi Yisuf Kara. We know had conversations with a Malach. And he called him the Magid. And we have the exact conversations, like the transcript that transpired between uh, Rabbi Yisuf Kara, the Machaber, and the, and the Magid. And... Um, and one of the conversations was that the, ma- the Malach promised, the Machaber promised Rabbi Yisuf Kara that he's going to die al Kiddush Hashem. And, you know, we would be nervous if we were told that. Rabbi Yisuf Kara was actually excited. Wow, I get this chus, like Rabbi Akiva, you know, kol yamai, I always wanted to give up, b'chol l'bavcha, b'chol nafshacha. And, but then he died, you know, a regular person's death. Like whenever, how many, ever many years later, but he died on his deathbed, and and he called back the mouth. He says, "What happened to your promise? You told me that I was going to die al kiddush Hashem." He says, "True, I did tell you that, but you did something much bigger. You lived, you lived your life al kiddush Hashem. It's not as big a deal to give up your life a one shot deal to give up your life with mysterious nefesh than to live with mysterious nefesh every single day." And so the American Messiris Nefesh is to give up, to be willing to give up our, our livelihoods, our parnasa, our everything that we 
need to in order to be Mekadishim Shemayim Rabbim. Now, like I said before, we don't have we don't have this challenge, Baruch Hashem, of Shabbos. We don't have it. Everyone, you can get a job and your job is not going to require you to be Mechal Shabbos, or it shouldn't, and if they do, like I said, there are legal ramifications for that. And so what's our Dar's challenge? We're not living in the early 1900s. We're living in, the, in, the, in 2023. And what's our Mesir Snefesh? What's our Mizbeach? So there's a Pasuk. The Pasuk says by Avram Avinu with his conversations with, uh, with Ephron in terms of buying the, the Ma'ara for, for Sari Menu's burial, it says, Im yeshes nafshechem. He says to Avram Avinu, Im yeshes nafshechem litvar if you want, If you really want to, then this is what we're going to do. Es nafshechem, Rashi says, es ritzainchem. If you have a desire, nefesh doesn't always mean your soul. Nefesh means your wants, your desires. And what the Musar's Farm all say is that Mesiris nefesh doesn't have to be you're giving up your soul, meaning you're giving up your life, that you're, you're willing to be executed, Al-Kiddush Hashem. But very often, the greatest form of Mesiris nefesh is, very simply, giving up your ritzainus. We want something. We have a taiva for something. Something looks really geschmack. Something looks very tantalizing. And we restrain ourselves from that. At that moment that we have that very difficult choice to make. Should I give in to my temptation or should I not give in? Whatever the temptation is, everybody has their own temptation. I mean, a lot of people share very similar temptations, but there are people that have temptations that, you know, other people can't fathom. And if you're mashkiach long enough, you hear about people's taivas and, 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 and wants and needs and, you know, that are very, very disparate, like from minakatsa alakatsa. But whatever it is that you desire, that you feel you want to do, and you need to do, and that this is what you're, you're going crazy to do, but you know that it's not the Ratzon Hashem, and you stop yourself from doing it, a great, great difficulty. You mamish sometimes have to like, you know, like do crazy things in order to stop yourself. When you do that, that is the greatest form of Mesiris Nefesh. That's giving up your Nefesh, your Ratzin. When you give up something that you really want to do because of the Rabbeinu Shalom, it's a tremendous, tremendous chus for you. It's the greatest form of Mesiris Nefesh, maybe even greater in certain levels than a Messias Nefesh of giving up your life. This is what I'm giving up. I'm giving to you my rotsin, my desires. I have such desires, but I'm not going to give in to them. I'm going to restrict myself. I'm going to restrain myself. And it's so hard to do. I'm going to do it. We don't always, we're not able to be successful every time. And a lot of times we will give in and we will have tremendous charata. But those times that we're able to stop ourselves from doing what we want and what we think at that moment is a good idea, even though we know that it's a terrible Avera, those are the moments that are the greatest form of Mesiris Nefesh. I saw an amazing vart. Rabbi Yitzhak Zobashtin brings it from a sefer called Taras HaKaidesh. 
It's also brought in the Eni Yisrael, uh, which is a series of letters from a great Gadol in, that lived in Bnei Brak. And they both say the same thing. Listen to this Yisrael. It's a tremendous Yisrael. You know, sometimes, a lot of times in life, we're looking for schoolists to have our tefillahs answered. Everybody has their needs of what you want it, what you need to daven for. Yesterday I was in a, I went into a store, I, I, I wanted to get something to eat. Um, so I had bought a lotto ticket and I, uh, and I put it, I sure, I won. I won the lotto, I won $4. I bought like a, like a Slurpee, it was $4.75. So I said like, you know, I, should, I said to the guy, it was a firm guy behind the counter, I said I should have davened a little harder. It was like a chiddish to him that you could daven to win the lottery. He says, oh, I didn't know that. I'm going to start davening to win the lottery. You could daven for anything that you want. You need, a, you need anything. You need a shidduch. You need parnasa. You need a refuah. You need a shu of some sort. You want to pass your final. You want to get that job. You want to get into graduate school. You daven. How do I daven? My davening is so shvach. It probably doesn't go anywhere. Oh, so I have to go, I have to, you know, fly to Eretz Yisrael and get in, get in with the Gadol, have a Gadol daven for me, or I have to, you know, say Shir Hashirim 40 days straight. I have all these schoolists. You know what the Svarim, these Svarim that I quote, and I'm going to read to you a stipler what he says? When you are able, listen to this very well, at those moments in time that you're able to miskaber over your Yetzahara, you're about to give in to your Taivas, you're a Yetzahat Tzadik, you're in, in that situation, and you're about to give in to your Taivas. And it's so easy, and it's so tempting, and it sounds like such a great idea at the time. And you stop yourself, and you have a Vayimoyin moment, you just stop yourself and you don't do it. That creates in Shamayim an Esrotzein, it's like an Elah. It's like a, a tremendous... Stop yourself right then and there. Take out a sitter or, do, or just say to Rabbi look at what I just did. I was about to do something and I thought of you and I stopped myself and now give me Parnasa. And now give me a Shidduch. And now give me some Yeshua. Make me feel good about my... Whatever it is that you need... There is no greater Esrotzen. There's no Godel in the world that could do that for you. There's no big enough Kaisal and Maravi that could do that for you. There's no greater Esrotzen. There's no Ni'ila that's big enough than that moment in time that you're able to be Aymer ben Isayin. There's no way to fathom the Kiddush Shem Shamayim that you've created in the world. You stirred the entire heavens. Malachim are trembling from you at that moment. If you're able to be Meisir Nefesh and you're able to go on the same Mizbeach that Admarishan built and Nayak was Makrivan and Avram was Makrav Yitzchak and Yaakov was Makrav and, and throughout history you join hands with history from Adam till today and you shine above them. That's your Mesiris Nefesh. It's not easy to do and we slip up a lot but when we're able to remember this this is one amazing way, because who doesn't need Yeshua's? So if, if, if the, 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 the Meir Malchus isn't enough for us, think about it personally. I need Yeshua right now. I'm a, this is it. If I could stop myself now, I create an Ace Ratzin and Shamayim that is so beyond my ability to comprehend that all of the doors of heaven are open to me. Listen, I just saw this disciple this morning. It's in Krayna Digrisa. Krayna Digrisa is, uh, 
It's, we have three volumes. I don't know if there are more, but in Yeshiva we have three volumes. It's letters that the stipler wrote to Talmidim and to, to Bnei Taira and, and whoever, whoever needed. So this was a, a letter that he wrote about somebody that had a situation that he had uh, Tivus. And asking about the stipler about Tivus, you know, what to do about Tivus, like asking me, you know, what to do about your quantum physics uh, final. Like, you know, you're coming to the wrong guy because I don't know anything about quantum physics. The stipler didn't know anything about Tivus. And if you think that I'm editorializing, he says it himself. He says, He says, I don't really know how to work on taiva. I think what he's saying is, I don't really have taiva. I'm sorry, you're coming to the wrong guy. You know, it's above my pay grade. I don't know, you know, it's not something that I, that I, I have. Saipa was learning with Kedusha and Tara for his whole life. He didn't have the Tivus, the base Tivus that we have. But says the stipler, this much I do know. From experience. He says, if you're a from person, if you're really genuinely from and you have Yerushalayim, real Yerushalayim, not just lip service Yerushalayim, but you really understand that you have a mission in life, that there's a God in the world, that your neshama is special, it's holy, it's from, from Tachas Kisei HaKavid, who is chiseled, and, and what's going to be if you slip up, and that this world is just a prize there, you live here a couple of years, 70 years, and you have Nitzchias ahead of you, if you make it through this, this obstacle course properly. He says... People that live that type of life, I don't think that they should have such taivas. I don't think that's arguable, right? I think that if we find ourselves in, a, in an environment that's, that's very from, you know, that's very nizar, you know, if you're living in, in I, I'd like to believe at least that if a person grew up in B'nai Brak, he has a much harder time to, to do any averis than, than, than if you grew up, you know, anywhere outside of B'nai Brak. It's because there's such, you know, you have Gedalim and you have Sadiqim and you have Kedusha and you have all Yidin like working and running to buy the Lulav and Esrug and putting in Talz and Tfil and Vasikin and, and Chatzais Minyanim. And they, they're, they're like, you know, it's hard, I, I would imagine. I'd like to believe that it's, you know, if you're in a really, really, really holy environment, it makes it very hard to be, like, this is what this type was saying. You're getting a pleasure of a momentary pleasure of Toma. We know what's going to happen. You give in to that pleasure, a momentary pleasure, and the next day you wake up and you have this cloud of depression over you and you feel like you're not a Ben Taira and you're disgusting and Abishta hates me now. And it's all not true, but... That's what you feel like. You just feel disgusting. And, and he says, what, what? so if you're, if you're a person that's a thinking person, I think that that should be the, the poison pill to avoid any, any tivus, giving in to any tivus. This is what he says. But listen to what I wanted to focus on the positive. If you do, if you are able to muster the strength and the power to overcome your taiva, l'shem shamayim, you have created a tremendous Kiddush Hashem. 
And this is the greatest form of Avaida Kedosh. This is the holiest endeavor that you could ever engage in. And through doing this, you will be to unbelievable, unparalleled siyat dishmaya, heavenly help, with whatever you need, whatever you need. Now's the time to daven, if you're able to be miskaber at that moment. You want to be matzliachim? I'm, I'm sorry, I missed that. I forgot. I was so busy with money, and I was so busy with, uh, with getting into medical school and getting into graduate school and those types of, and, and getting shidduchim. All those are very important. But I forgot, the stipler on the top of his list was being matzliach and learning. You want to have atzlocha and learning? You want to be able to steig and really chap what Taisa is saying, what Kiveger is asking, and what, 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 what the Marsha is, is trying to convey? and it's not going in, and you never have that clarity, well, here's your opportunity. At that moment, the Yermeskaber, you daven to the Rabbi Yishim Tavatzlocha in Tyra. How about those Midas that, you, uh, you know, that, that you're not able to ever really vanquish, those bad Midas? You have terrible Kas, you have terrible Kina, you have terrible Gaiva. What about those Midas? You want to have simcha in life. You want to have anava in life. You want to have your shamayim in life. Where do you get that from? Here's the chance that you have that you can never, ab- you were never able to succeed. This is the shasagar. This is your window of opportunity. Or in Eilam Hazad, it matters. He does say in, in, in brackets, Raktsarach Savlonus. I mean, don't, don't expect, okay, last night I did this, I was able to misgaber, and so this morning I'm going to buy a lottery ticket and I better win. doesn't work that way. He says you have to have patience with the revenge. Don't expect everything to be chick-chock, but if you give it enough time and in a slow boil, you'll be able to be matzliach in your learning, you'll be able to be matzliach in business, you'll be able to matzliach with Midas, with Yerushalayim, everything is going to go eventually in Mitzvah Hashem Mashidochem. Not going to, you're not going to wake up and there's going to, you know, the Shatchan's automatically going to call the next morning, but give it time and give it patience and everything should fall into place. This is the stipler's off talk. This is money in the bank. As far as I'm concerned, if the stipler says this, it's Tyre Misinai, it's money in the bank. This is not questionable. This is reality. And then he says something else that's very practical. Every time that a person withstands that Nisayan, it's counterintuitive. Because when a person sometimes thinks, you know, I'm going to give into this taiva, and then I'm, going to be, then I'm going to be good. Once I give in tonight to the taiva, then I'm going to be good for a couple of months. I'm, it's going to be a great summer. No, no, no. It's the opposite. He says, if you're miskaber over it, then it's going to be much easier it's going to be much easier to overcome it tomorrow night and the night after. As Chazal say in Sanhedrin Kov Zayin, that mar'iva is saveya. If you starve it, it's full. If you feed it, it's even hungrier. That's the way it works with Titus. You give in once, it's going to go again and again and again. If you stop yourself, then you'll be stronger and you'll be able to be much, it'll be a much easier challenge next time the Yetzirah comes. That's the way... That's the way it works.
the summer is a very, very difficult Nisayan. Now, if you're learning in the Kailo, if you're learning in, in a base Medish, wherever it is, and you're doing that a whole day, and you're not coming up for air, you're not going outside in the street at all, and you're, then, then this Shmuz is, you know, it's still for you, but it's not as urgent. But if you're doing some internships or your externships or you're, you know, you're, you're, you're getting a job or you're going, you know, whatever it is, it's a very, or even if you're not doing anything, you're just staying at home holding the couch down the whole summer, it's a very, very difficult time of year. And we all know this, Mipiani Sayan. We know that it's, a, that it's, that it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's the hardest time of year. It's the hardest time of year. We don't have the miskarat of the yeshiva. We don't have the sidra yeshiva. We don't have our abeim with us. We don't have our chavrusas with us. We don't have our chavr with us. We, we're basically, you know, just flapping in the wind. And the Yitzhahara loves the summer because things are so easy in the summer. It's so easy to slip up. And there's so many excuses. And there's so, it's so difficult on so many levels. And I feel that, you know, this shmuz is is important if it even like saves us from, from a little bit of that. And we have to really try very hard as we're entering the summer to try to find ways to be miscaver over, over these things. And the Mesiris Nefesh that it takes in the summer is very great. It's a great challenge for every Jewish boy and Jewish girl and older person and really older person and young, it's, it's across the board challenging, everybody Rabbeim and Balabatim and this and that, everybody it's a challenge but you should know and I should know that when we're able to really rise to the occasion and not give in and be strong that's when the summer will be the most gishmak it's not like, I want to do that, I'm going to chill, it's summer, I'm going here, I'm going to watch that, this is my chill, this is my time to chill. There is a lot of ways to chill in a kosher way, but chilling in a way that's not kosher is not a chill, it's depressing, it's, it's the neshama is dying inside when that happens. It's not enjoying it, it's not enjoying the experience, it's mag'il, it's disgusting for it. The neshama inside of you is tahirahi. It's pure. It just wants purity. It just wants nice. It just wants easy. It just wants taira. That's what it craves. It wants you to learn a little bit. It wants you to daven a little bit. It wants you to be nice to people. It wants you just to spread goodness. And when we don't, and when we engage in, in, the, in the forces of Tumma, and we think, this is, a, this is going to be geshmak. I want to do it. It's going to... Uh, it's, a, it's, just, it's the biggest trap. And it could bring you down further than you even know. And I've said many times, you know, stories about Talmidim that within a week or two of the summer, they, had, they went from a high, high plateau in terms of learning to the lowest, lowest depths. And I don't want to discuss it again because I get depressed every time I say the story. But just suffice it to say that it's the, the, the fall, the slip is is very, very slippery. It's a very slippery, um, very slippery slope this summer. And as much as you think you learned the whole year and you're stark and now you're, you're bulletproof, baloney. You're not bulletproof to anything. Everybody is susceptible and you could slip so far and so fast that you won't even realize it. 
until after it's all over and you look in the mirror and you say, like, what happened to me over the summer? So we have to work on being a shalshalas of a messira of messiris nefesh. Baruch Hashem, we are not challenged with a messiris nefesh of either do this avera or I will kill you. But we have the tremendous messiris nefesh of the Yitzhahara telling you that if you do this avera, you'll have it so good. And that's a very, very difficult messiris nefesh because that, you, you, it sounds good. It sounds like it makes a lot of sense. And I want it. Sounds like, like, you know, unbelievable, this, this concept of giving in and, and like enjoying, but it's not enjoyment, it's terrible. But you don't realize it until afterwards. So the carrot, the way that you could and that we could be misgaber, I'm not saying practical atis, but I'm just saying just as the, the greatest reward that you should understand, that we should understand that when we're aimed, when we're about to give in to that time, when we did slip and we got to a moment that we're holding by should I or shouldn't I, should I or shouldn't I, we have the Yitzhar grabbing onto our coat and saying, and we have that choice to make yes or no, and we think, as Yosef did, he saw the Aviv, he saw Yaakovina's face in the window, and it stopped him. We don't always have Yaakovina's face, but we have the stipler's face. We have the Taras HaKadosh's face. We have the Eni Yisrael's face that are telling us, stop. And if you stop now, and if you don't give in to your taiva, then you could ask the Rabbi Yishlam, anything that you need, anything that you want, will be yours for the asking. It's a ne'ilah for you. It's a shas ratzin. It's an ace... It's, it's an ace ratzin that is unparalleled in your life. You will never get such an ace ratzin. You can't go to anyone to buy this ace ratzin. And by the way, this doesn't mean that, I'm not suggesting that a person should put himself into an isayin to get this ace ratzin. If you avoid the ace ratzin before it's an isayin to you, that's even better. Meaning if you, if you make precautions for yourself that you're not even going to be tempted that you could dive in then also. You don't have to like, okay, so, uh, you know, okay, when I'm in that situation, then I'll, no, 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 it's an Ace Ratzon now. If you're able to like, you know, to make decisions today that will, that will limit your exposure to, to Taivas, that will make you uh, go away from all these things, dive in now. If you're able to now be miscabber and say, okay, instead of going to, you know, I'm not going to go to that co-ed college this summer. I'm not going to do this, uh, this type of thing. I'm not going to, you know, look at that you know, magazine when I get home. I'm not going to have unfiltered. If whatever you're able to do now, that's a tremendous Ace Ratzon also. Because this is now your Ace Ratzon, right? This is, your, this, is your, this is the moment to be Ayn Bini Sayin. When you're making the decision now, that's also tremendous. You don't have to, mamish, go into the lion's den to, be, to get this. I, that, I don't think that's what the Svarmakadeshim are saying. So this is something to really keep in the front burner of our brains as we go into the summer. Summer is a, it's, I'm not, I don't want to paint it as a bad time of year. It's a beautiful time of year. It's a time that you can relax. You can spend with your family. You spend with your friends. You, can re, you, know, you deserve relaxation a little bit. You worked so hard throughout the whole year. But the more that you do in terms of Kedusha, the better your summer will be. Period. If you wake up late and you miss davening every day, you're not going to enjoy the, that, that day of the summer. You're going to feel like, ugh. You wake up 
at a good time and you, you know, you're not at the, the 9.30 minion. You, you wake up at a normal minion and you daven and you learn and you, you know, eat a nice breakfast and you, whatever, you, you, you do what you need to do, but you do it with the Rabbeinu Shalom at every step of the way. Now you've already earned your ability to have an amazing summer because you're showing that you're willing to be meiser nefesh on the Rabbeinu Shalom's Mizbeach. This is your Kairos Kesev. This is your Admarishan. This is your Nayach. This is your Messiah. That I'm willing to do with, in my life, my, my portion of Messiah's Nefesh, my per- portion of being Makar myself on the Mizbeach. What's my Messiah's Nefesh? My Messiah's Nefesh is Messiah's Haratzim. The Ritzinus that I have, my Taibus, and specifically my Taibus in the summer, when things are really difficult, we stop and we really analyze now how we're going to avoid them. And if we fall into the trap and we're almost about to do it, double down and try to really stop yourself. And when you do, daven. Because that is a tremendous... You've created for yourself an Esratzen that's unparalleled. I'd just like to end with a bracha, complete Birkas Hedget. I'm in awe. I'm really literally in awe of every single one of you. I've been to a lot of yeshivas in my life. I've been around the block many, many times. So really good yeshivas. And that's not a flex, but I've been, to, I've, been to, I've been to the finest of yeshivas, Baruch Hashem. And the best guys in that yeshiva doesn't hold a candle to anyone in this room. You're able to do so much good and be meiser nefesh with all of the difficulties and all the challenges of the world around you and technology and you're able to grapple with it and still be able to be here learning stark on the last day of the summer when many people already peeled away you know, weeks ago already and you're still here. That, that, that's an, awe, an awesome maimed. It's an awesome... It's great. It's really great. You, you don't know. If I could give each and every one of you a, a personal Yeshur Kayach, but communally, this is it. We're so proud of you that you're here in Yeshiva still and that you've been stark the entire Zman and you've given yourselves so amazingly to Yeshiva. And we just hope and pray that your summer will go smoothly, Mirz Hashem, and that if you're not coming back to Yeshiva, that you still come back to visit and that if you do come back to Yeshiva next month, and we hope that all of you do, that you come back with new kaychas and with new resolve to make Yeshiva the most amazing Yeshiva that it could be, to give everything that you can to the Yeshiva, to come on Shabbos, to come on Yantiv, to come to the Shmuz, and we need Chizuk. We always need Chizuk, but we especially need Chizuk as we're going into a new, a new year, a newsman. And we need every single person, all hands on deck. We need everybody to come and give it your all. Give, come, be prepared to be meister nefesh to the yeshiva. In a good way. Not in a terror, not in a hard, not, but to be able to be selfless, dedicated to what every yeshiva needs. And there's so many needs that yeshiva has, but mostly just to be here and to be a positive force and to, and to just want to be a part of yeshiva. And you all are. You're already doing that, but just continue to do it and bring more guys into the Chavros. So that next year, hopefully, we'll have three times the amount of guys of the last day of this month. And we love you, and we're very proud of you, and we want to wish you a beautiful summer, and please stay in touch, 
and Mitzvah Hashem, you should all be zeichet to be matzliach in learning this summer, and Yerushamayim this summer, and Baruchnius, and Begashmius, Bechal Mili, Demetav, you should have atzlacha and bracha. Thank you.